Welcome to This Podcast is Not for Profit. Our sector is full of big hearts, tiny budgets, and audacious goals. Join us as we explore the forces shaping the nonprofit sector, speak to experts and innovators, and share stories from the front lines of the fight to end hunger, poverty, and create more inclusive communities. Welcome back, listener. We've been on a bit of a hiatus over the last few months, as, like many of you, we've had to pivot and adjust to the COVID-19 global pandemic. United Ways across the country have been on the front line raising vital dollars, supporting frontline workers, and advocating for relief funds to target the most vulnerable in the community. I'm excited to be back and share some of the stories from the front line. We often hear the term too big to fail applied to banks and automakers, but the nonprofit sector is too important to fail. Not only are we a vital economic engine, we are also the social safety net that catches people when they fall. In hard economic times, it, are, it is our services that can mean the difference between sharing a family meal together or choosing to skip a meal so your kids can eat. We are the food bank that feeds a family who lost their paycheck. We are the after-school program that keeps a kid from joining a gang. And we are the crisis support line that provides hope at the end of the period of darkness. And we are the job training program that provides a light at the end of the tunnel. Though the pandemic has been keeping us apart, it has undoubtedly brought us together. While so much is uncertain right now, one thing we know for sure, it is that we are all connected. We need one another, some of us more than others. In my interview with Don Seymour, the executive director of Wesley Urban Ministries, he says that we're seeing a community of generosity even among those who have very little. The sacredness of humanity comes through in everybody. These difficult circumstances are shining a light on cracks in our social supports and are requiring those on the front line to pivot and find ways to do more with even less. This isn't really new to the sector, but it certainly has been exacerbated by the pandemic. Marginalized people are disproportionately affected by lockdown measures. Were those of us privileged enough to stay at home, order groceries online, set up Zoom meetings with our friends, and binge listen to our favorite podcasts, too many others are struggling to keep their heads above water, no longer able to access the services and supports they rely on to survive. We are also seeing unprecedented levels of cooperation between shelters, public health, and city that have resulted in exceptionally low numbers of COVID cases within those vulnerable populations here in Hamilton and Halton. Resources are flowing, folks are collaborating and finding ways to take care of those who are in support, and the community is rallying around these efforts. We've raised hundreds of thousands of dollars thanks to the generosity of our donors over the last couple of months. Over the next few months, we are going to pivot this podcast to highlight some of the stories of these projects and of these stories such as the Good Soup Project that is rescuing excess food to help feed socially isolated seniors precariously housed in other vulnerable populations during COVID-19, or how school custodians voluntarily redeployed to deliver food to students who would typically access in-school food programs or about collaboration between organizations doing street outreach to make sure even the hardest to reach demographics are not being left behind during the pandemic. These stories illuminate the generosity and dedication of social service frontline workers in our community and show why the social service sector is too important to fail. I hope you enjoy the following episodes and find some hope 
in the kindness and generosity that illuminates the community during this dark time. Today, I'm with Don Seymour. He is the executive director of Wesley Urban Ministries. Wesley is a cornerstone of the Hamilton community and provides programs across the region to children, youth, families, homelessness support, and newcomer services. Uh, Welcome, Don. Thank you. Welcome. I'm glad to be here, I mean. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Uh, not not so much in person, still with physical distancing. Uh, indeed. Uh, so first, can you tell me a little bit about Wesley? I know you're fairly new to the role. You started this, uh, I believe, a few months ago. Um, and uh, if you could tell me a little bit about Wesley, what kind of services do you provide? Who do you serve? That sort of thing. Sure. I, I started with Wesley in February. And what attracted me was everything that Wesley does is founded in the social determinants of health. All our programs can can trace a direct line. So whether whether we're doing the the child care or the early years programs or or youth outreach or youth housing uh, to the settlement services to seniors outreach to uh, you know our day center and and supporting people who are homeless as well as supportive housing we we run the gamut from birth to from birth to death in terms of the services we offer and uh, and and again what I really like about Wesley is you know people will look at the diversity of what we do and when we can boil it down to it's a social determinants of health organization people then get a better understanding of of, of what we do um, for those who might not be aware of it can you just briefly disca- describe what social determinants of health refers to sure I, I can't memorize I don't have four, the, all mm-hmm. 14 of them memorized <laughs> but you know we, we often look at health through a physical lens so if something is physically wrong with a person we deal with it social determinants of health look at the, look at what is what is in people's health from a social point of view uh, so that uh, and, and when you look at it that way then you start to realize all the things that lead to bad health physically or mentally can be traced back to a lack of social determinants so we're, we're talking about things like you know income security do people have housing do people have food do they have access to primary medical care do they have a social network or social connection such as family or friends when when the more social determinants of health that are present the healthier people are overall and, and, and so we we look at our programs through that lens because it, you know whether we're, we're helping people from from other countries resettling Canada, you know, we're making sure that they're connected to the things they need to be connected to, such as housing, helping them get bank accounts and social insurance numbers so that they can start contributing uh, as soon as possible when they arrive in Canada. For people who are homeless, we're we're obviously looking at how can we get these people housed? How can we make sure they have food and primary care uh, and, and someone is looking out for them? And, and, you know, this, there's a lot of evidence that says when people have those things present in their life, then the need for the expensive services, such as hospitals or emergency services or police, the need for those things tends to go down because, you know, when people can focus on their physical health because they're not worrying about where to find food or, or housing, uh, then all those physical and mental health things start to come into play and, and people, are able to, uh, people are able to get healthy in, in a 
whole lot of ways. I, I've often said that if we gave, uh, you, you know, a group of women $500 to set up a tea in a in what's called a vulnerable neighborhood, uh, you, you know, we'd get more to the social capital out of that tea than you would, you, you know, for a, a month of social work sometimes because, you know, it's self-directed and it, it's people interacting and socializing. And, and, and I think any of us who are going through COVID right now, seeing the lack of socializing in our lives, we're starting to realize how important it is. Yeah, I think I think that's yeah, I think you're uh, you're you're absolutely right. Uh, I think a lot of people are realizing how important that element is to us and and maybe a sort of a silver lining of COVID will be that people will finally realize the really the profound importance that that kind of social element has in terms of mental health, physical health and all of these other components that you talked about. Um it, it, you know that could be one of these little silver linings. I, I I hope so, and and certainly for those of us who are, you know, at, at on the ground of this thing, I think we're going to have to continue to use our voice and say, look how look how this has impacted in the entire society, and 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 we have to address the inequities in, in in you know so that the people we serve and support have the same access to things that many of us take for granted. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I, uh, when I think about it, I think about how, you know, if our if our social safety net was a little bit stronger, then a lot of the responses that we are really having to kind of marshal right now at an unprecedented scale and rate really wouldn't have been necessary. We would have been able to sort of just kind of move on and keep going. So it certainly is, uh, it, it certainly does show the importance of that. Exactly. Um, so I, what I'm wondering is, you know, Wesley offers a lot of different services and you've sort of given us a little bit of a taste. And unlike a lot of people right now who are in COVID lockdown, you know, Wesley is a frontline agency and you continue to serve clients. So how has your organization been affected by COVID? Uh, you know, I, I, I... We, it's changed the way we do business everywhere. And, and, and part of that is a good thing, actually. So, you, you know, we're getting creative with how we serve youth. To, to use youth as an example, we haven't engaged a lot of the digital media platforms that, that youth are using. We were still doing it very traditionally and, and traditional is effective, don't get me wrong. But when we found ourselves, you know, having to socially isolate and limit contact, we started ramping up things like Instagram and, and we're looking at WhatsApp because, you know, the, the hallmark of good care is the right time at the right place. And, uh, and, and sometimes that can be digital. And, and when you know that you have a, a youth that is digitally savvy and depends on their phone, it's a lot easier to do outreach uh, with, with some sort of digital platform. That, that's been a common thing with, with psychiatrists yeah. who deal with people with eating disorders. They, they adopted you know, digital platforms a long time ago because they realized it was a way to keep in touch with their clients. Uh, so, so we've done done the same thing here uh, at at our day center. We've had to, uh, you know, we've had to limit the number of people that come in. Uh, but at the same time, because we're still there and and offering meals uh, and and uh, you know takeaway meals and there's primary care on site, we're able to touch base with people even though they're not allowed in the building uh, to make sure they're healthy. And if they're not healthy, then we can refer them or sometimes accompany them to you know to to primary care so they can be tested or we can we can look at them. Face-to-face uh, -face meetings have disappeared, obviously, mm -hmm. and organization has rolled with that. I would say virtually problem free, just minor tech problems, but even even our board of directors who have never met virtually have been meeting virtually now with great effectiveness. 
And, uh, it, it, you know, obviously we've got a lot of uh, PPE involved, uh, personal yep. protective equipment. Uh, and, and with the one outbreak, we had to go full PPE for a couple of weeks. But people are being very careful. Uh, we've, we've, you know, like every other organization, we've, we've had a pandemic plan that's probably been revised four times since we <laughs> began this. Uh, but, but again, uh, it, you know, we're responding to the latest knowledge. And, and as I've been saying to the team here and to the board, this is uncharted territory for all of us. None of us have managed this level of crisis before. Uh, and, and so, you know, we make mistakes. Uh, we've seen our own prime minister make mistakes, but we learn and we move on and, and we adjust our response. And, and, and I can say that the Wesley team has been very nimble in, in rolling with the punches. Uh, you, you know, sometimes you would just engage in, in the humor here another mask advisory <laughs> and, and and you know and and then you go with it uh, one of the other things that i've really liked is we've been very very uh, careful to try and not careful but very big on trying to make sure the people we serve and support have have the proper equipment that they feel they need to be safe so we've been handing out homemade masks to some of the folks that that, that are coming to the day center because their stress is palpable as well yeah you know, I remember when this was just starting and we were adjusting procedures at the Wesley Day Center, uh, we had people coming through the door looking very stressed, wanting sanitizer and wanting masks. And, and so to now that to know that we're now can can hand out masks to people because of the great volunteer efforts of people making homemade masks, uh, that, that's gone a long way to, to help uh, strengthen the relationships we have with people. You know, we can't say we're all in this together when we've got a whole cohort of our society that are marginalized and not feeling like they're in this with anybody except each other. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. And I and, and I imagine, you know, for a lot of people that you're serving, you're serving some of the most, you know, structurally marginalized populations in the in the city. And yes. and and they're already their stress levels are already, you know, probably at a nine or a ten. So to sort of to to be put in this situation where now, you know, you know, all of us are are struggling, I would say, to sort of figure out what this new normal means and how we adjust. And, you know, we're we're about two months into this right now. I can only imagine how some how some people who might have only had a, a small amount of bandwidth to sort of adjust to this and potentially very, very small sort of financial resources to be able to sort of say, oh, okay, how, how do we what is that new normal look like? So, so you know, good, good, good for you and your staff for being able to support them through this and for mobilizing such a community effort uh, around around these things. It, it's been, you know, I, I the Wesley team has done great across the organization, and uh, you know, and we're not in this alone. We're working with a lot of other partner organizations and and coordinating a response that is, I, I can only use the word remarkable. Mm -hmm. When when you look at our jurisdiction and how few vulnerable people that are, you know, speaking specifically to folks who are homeless or or mm -hmm. dealing with mental health or addiction, how few of them have actually come down with COVID you know, speaks to how well we're managing this with, uh, with, with the people we serve and support. Yeah, it, it is, it is truly remarkable. And, you know, I think even on our end, we're seeing a lot of collaboration amongst funders. We're seeing a lot of collaboration amongst different stakeholders across the entire system. And I think one of the things that we've tried to do, uh, you know, as our role, uh, um, as an organization that does do a lot of convening, uh, has been recently, we started up an, uh, a sort of an ED support group meant to facilitate sort of collaboration, some informa information sharing and, and, and collaboration. And I know you've participated in a few of these things. And 
so what I actually was wondering is if you could speak a little bit about specifically how you're working with some other community partners um, sure. and and what are some of the things that have emerged um, you know as as solutions right now and potentially you know I, I would hope that will carry on into into the new normal mm -hmm. Uh, you know, the, the one I was very worried at the beginning of this, I was new to the community and, and I did not have the network or, or the knowledge base. And, uh, you know, but fortunately, Hamilton, from where I'm sitting, appears to already be a very collaborative community when it comes to dealing with vulnerable folks, uh, you, you know, and, and kudos to the city. They took on the, 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 the leadership and project management of the response in our in our various sectors. And, uh, and and people have come to the table in goodwill. We you know it's we we first started out with daily phone calls with with, uh, with you know discussing the various issues. Those have now moved to uh, those have now moved to weekly with uh, kind of sub phone calls helping with specific target groups. Uh, and everybody came to the table saying, what can we do? How can we help? And uh, and how can we work together? And and everybody's played their part. Uh, you know, Wesley would have liked to have done a little bit more than we did but you know we have to be aware of the capacity and, and staffing became an issue right away for various reasons but you know when i look at the collaborative efforts we've worked closely with uh with organizations like keeping six um we're making uh because because of the amount of food and cash donations we have our social enterprise has been able to make bag lunches for mm -hmm. keeping six and Grenfell Ministries, give them those bag lunches and they're doing the street outreach. So making sure that people who aren't accessing shelters or day sites uh, who are who are more unseen, that they're getting nutrition and they're also getting eyes on to monitor their health. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, so that, so there's that piece, the, the shelter health network that's been created with Dr. Tim O'Shea and uh, Tim O'Shea and, and uh, Jill, which are Dr. Jill, uh, they've been doing non-stop testing in in the population uh and, and again that's that's a that's a collaborative effort where everybody's identifying who should be tested to the to the shelter health network team and those tests are being done and, and generally we're getting results back sometimes same day so that we're able to do a almost a, a, a in real time monitoring wow. of, of the population we're serving and supporting uh, you know organizations like uh, good shepherd have stepped up to to you know look at how can they arrange their shelters and make use of hotels to limit people and 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 to make sure they're doing the best social distancing they can churches are opening their doors and we're redirecting the people to churches so they can access bathrooms and get snacks. Uh, overall, the response has been amazing. Probably our most frustrating area is trying to deal with the folks that, that are in the tent encampments. Yeah. We have a lot of conversation, I think, post-pandemic on how we handled that. But, but you know, even, even when those discussions are happening, they're being done transparently transparently so that the, the various agencies that are appropriate when those encampments are being dismantled, they have staff on the ground helping people, either trying to get them to uh, a hotel or a shelter. But a lot of people, for various reasons, they still choose to sleep rough or sometimes they don't have a choice. Sometimes they've been banned from the shelters for various reasons or sometimes they have pets that can't be accommodated or sometimes there's couples. So, uh, you know, but but overall, if there's a person that has needed service throughout this pandemic, they have been identified uh, through one of the various means we have, and an agency has been able to step up and and provide service. It, it's uh, you know the collaboration has been open, it's been transparent, and it has been with a, a complete sense of goodwill, uh, to my way of thinking.
you, you know, that the funders such as the foundation, the United Way, even our government funders have just been remarkable in helping us access funds and keeping tabs on where our needs are. This is a, you know, in this case, um, we are working together better than I've ever seen any community work together. And I've lived in a few communities and I'm sure it's happening in other jurisdictions, but, but you know, how Hamilton is handling this uh, for the most part, I would have to give it, you know, just the highest passing grade. Uh, you know, tough decisions are being made, tough decisions that sometimes we don't agree with, but in the greater interest, sometimes we move forward just so that just so that we can make sure that the people are getting the best service we can offer in the moment. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so how is this affecting your staff uh, at this point? Is this, you know, because I imagine, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of people are talking about frontline, frontline heroes, right? And, and, and are talking a lot about the people who are in, in very, in, in a very real way, risking their lives. Is this having a toll on your staff? Absolutely. Uh, we, we dealt with an outbreak and, uh, and it, and it, you know, it, it put the uh, it put the shivers into all of us. Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, you know, fortunately, once we identified where the, you know, once we identified we were dealing with an outbreak, we were able to shut it down and, and the outbreak was declared over just over two weeks later. But, you know, we all have the same concerns and the same fears. And at the end of the day, people, you know, are making the best decisions they can make to, to look after themselves and their families and you know, the people they support at work. So we, we've gone through what every other organization has gone through, you know, the, the initial part of fear and and we dealt with some staff shortages. And then mm -hmm. the more we, we found, we're trying to communicate as best we can. I've, since the pandemic started, I've done 24 internal blogs to staff, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and, and reminding people that sell, you know, if we don't look after ourselves, then we're not gonna be here to look after the people we support. Uh, so trying to deal with the fears individually, trying to deal with them uh, as a group, respecting the choices and decisions people make uh, that that they need to make to feel safe. A lot of our childcare staff, they could have been redeployed, but you know they have children themselves and they might not have been trained specifically for adults. So some of them chose to to take the layoffs as opposed to be mm -hmm. redeployed. Um, you know, and, and as, a, as a community, which I, I view Wesley as, we have to respect those decisions. At this point, we have managed to fill every single shift and, and, uh, and, and the people that, uh, and, and, you know, describing staff as heroes, I never thought I'd say that in my life until now, yeah. when I see what people are willing to do and lots of good questions. We've made decisions as an organization that staff have disagreed with, and we've changed our minds when we hear their concerns. Uh, you know, we go, okay, that's right. And, and uh, no problem saying we made a mistake and, and move on and correct it because the next time, if we do have another outbreak while this pandemic is on, we'll know how to do things better and different. And that's because, it, it, you know, we've, we we're very actively listening to, to the concerns of staff. Um, and, and I, you know, one of the things we pledged as an organization is we would do everything that we could in our power to keep people safe and secure, whether they're staff or client. And, uh, and, and, you know, again, uh, the outbreak was unfortunate, but I feel that the team at our, our supportive housing did an absolutely amazing job. We partnered with that on the YWCA. And, you know, that's another great collaboration we have is we share that residential program together and the two organizations, um, you know, we, we walked hand in hand through this outbreak. And, and, you know, at the end of the day, 
it's done and and we haven't lost anybody and that's a, that's a really important thing and and the lessons we've learned for the next time should there be a next time will will mean we handle it that much better yeah no it's yeah, incredible people are, people are scared and and we have to respect that and and do our best to ally those fears yeah, absolutely. And I think it's it's really interesting, you know, as we get through this and we start sort of seeing a bit of a light at the end of the tunnel, one of the things that kind of keeps me uh, positive, I think, is that in some ways COVID is really revealing um, some of the stuff that was beneath the surface in the nonprofit sector, things that were just sort of hidden. And, and I think, you know, we can learn a lot from from what's going on here, from the gaps, from the strengths, from the things that we need to sort of do to protect ourselves, uh, as you said, not just for the next pandemic, but for the next crisis, or or really how to uh, you know how do we create just a more effective social safety net in general? Exactly, we've we're getting a lot of lessons learned out of this, and and if we ignore those, then then what have we learned? Yeah. Uh, we need we cannot go back to the way we did things whether it's the way we support people the way we we work together i, I think i saw some what are they calling this the great reconciliation or the great you know something like that mm-hmm. that uh, you know we have to we have to reconcile how we did things and, and as you pointed out earlier if some of those resources that were now pouring into the system uh, if some of those resources had been able uh, been been there up front before this ever happened, then you know our work would be that much easier than mm-hmm. than what we're dealing. And and you know starting to think outside the box, knowing that not everybody is you know if we look at people who are homeless, not everybody can fit into an apartment living style or or yeah. group living. So, but there are solutions out there. And uh, and and you know I've worked in you know, developmental services and mental health addiction my whole career. And, and I've been part of the institutional closures. And I believe that everybody can be housed and it doesn't take a huge amount of resources. It just takes uh, a lot of education to, mm-hmm. to you know, and, and we impose values that we think are normal values on people that may have a mental illness or addiction. And so they don't understand uh, they don't understand those values. So, for instance, we saw the ticketing that was happening at the beginning of of this pandemic, ticketing people who are homeless for not adhering to social distancing, <laughs> and, um, and, and 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 you know, these people are already just trying to figure out how to stay alive. And and then we say, well, you can't be with your family anymore because their family yeah. is on the street with them. Uh, and you know you can't stay here, you can't stay there, and and uh, and so we're we're imposing a very complex set of rules on people that even we have trouble understanding. The rules sometimes are complex, and if we're having trouble following them, imagine someone yeah. who's able, uh, it, it, how they're doing to try and follow these rules. Yeah, it's a very good point. Um, so I'm wondering if we could sort of um, wrap up on a bit of a, you know, I think a lot of this is pretty heavy and and some of the listeners are, are thinking a couple different things. They're wondering how they could help. And they're also, you know, I'm wondering if we can maybe end on a bit of a positive note and think about a story about a client or something that kind of keeps you motivated. You know, I think a lot of people are struggling right now to think, how do we, you know, they see a bit of a light at the end of the tunnel, but we still know it's a long road ahead. So what are the things that keep you motivated? What are the, what, you know, what are the stories that, that, that keep you moving forward? Uh, you know, how we dealt, the, the, you know, our, our big success was the fact that from outbreak to outbreak being over was less than two and a half weeks. Wow. 
and and seeing how the staff responded and how we how we shut that down and nipped it in the bud is 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 so it didn't it didn't spread any further and uh and and the detail that staff put in to looking after our clients and and each other uh to get through this was yeah that to me that that's a good news story we didn't lose anybody one person got very sick but it looks like that person is on 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 the rebound um, you know, I, I could say I was getting irritated that every time my director of social enterprise said, I've got another idea how we can feed more people. And, you know, I, I was new and I just learned to say, okay, just go do it, do it. Because every time she turns around, she's figuring out how she can feed more people and bring the prices down and, and get more food out there to the community using donations and donated dollars. That, that, that to me is, you know, is also a, a great news story. With, with regards to individuals, I, I guess I go back to, um, you know, one fellow came in to uh, to the day center when I was there, and uh, you know, he he said very plainly, "I haven't slept inside since October." Oh wow! And uh, you know, but and, and he said it very matter of fact, but you know, and he was there to get some food to use the bathroom, and you know, he stands out because of the incredible dignity he had, uh, and and how how um friendly and polite he was and 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 seeing the interaction you wouldn't have known seeing that interaction you know if you if you put aside the physical characteristics you wouldn't have known who the staff or who the client was in that situation hmm. and, and and you know and everything was matter of fact and, and and so then when i i asked a little bit about the person and and you know obviously he's a favorite of the staff you know his struggle is is uh, you know his mental illness causes him to cycle and uh, and and so that's why he's had problems with housing and and he'll and he's avoiding the shelter system because he feels it's dangerous to him mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and uh, but somehow he's managed to do it and he manages you know the, the thing is he genuinely was interested in how staff were doing hmm. and and how and and making sure that they were okay at the same time staff were making sure he was okay so it, it you know we have lots of preconceived notions about people who are homeless or dealing with mental illness or addictions and, and i think once you get you know if you can get past that and and look at the person and not the problems that the person is dealing with then you start to see there's really not a lot of difference with any of us um it, you know that 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 you know the sacredness of humanity comes through in everybody and you know so to me that you know that that that's just one small story you know but you know in my experience and i don't have as much experience obviously as someone who's lived on the street but when you see how people are so generous to the community that they've become a part of sharing what little food they they are able to require or sharing their substances you know putting aside judgment i i saw some guys one day on the street and they were sharing a bottle of crown royal and and with great generosity hmm. and, and warmth. And, you know, the only difference is, is, is they're doing it on the street. When you think yeah. of you know, people who drink, they're sharing drinks in a pub or in their house while they're socializing. Yeah. Uh, because these folks are marginalized and they were on the street. You, you know, people were walking by them with derision on their faces. And I'm just looking at them going, you know, put all that aside. These are people who are sharing and doing what we all do normally anyways. Yeah. No, and, it's a... Absolutely. And I think, you know, we might be socially isolating, but it doesn't mean that we don't crave that connection and, no. and, and that we don't need that to sort of 
thrive. And yeah. I think, you know, it's, um, thank you very much for sharing, for sharing that story. And thank you very much for sharing your time and, and sort of helping people understand what some of the issues are, um, from the front line. No, my, my pleasure. And, and thanks for your, the support from, from you guys. It's just been, uh, it, it's, uh, I can't say enough about it. It's, it, it, you know, you, you guys have been, well, what am I trying to say? You guys have been proactive in reaching out, you know, and, and, and reminding us, because we get so focused and caught up in, in the moment and what we're trying to do. And then to get that reach out and say, what do you need? And, and then to be able to respond, that's gold. So, you know, thank you for, for being a part of the community and helping us do the work we're doing. Thank you. Let's continue to bring the unignorable issues affecting our community to the forefront. I would like to thank all of our guests and dedicated listeners. This podcast was brought to you by United Way Halton and Hamilton. Stay social with us and keep the conversation going by following us at United Way HH on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and United Way Halton and Hamilton on LinkedIn and YouTube.